This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Pufall and Stephen Maresca. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm your host, Jason Pufall, and as always, joined by Steve Maresca. Hi, Steve. Hey. So, this is going to be part one of what I think is going to be a two-part series. So, we're going to talk today about basic security must-haves, really focused on business, right? So, we'll call this the business edition. And for us, I think we've identified uh, sort of a few really critical elements, I think, that every business has to pay attention to. And I think it's, it's largely born out of our experience in the incident response space, uh, issues we've seen, frankly, that, that cause probably 90% of the incidents that we deal with on a regular basis. Um, so we really think about how best to protect the data, right? Generally speaking, with every incident we deal with, the first question you have is, is your business data at risk? And that might be PII, that might be intellectual property, uh, regulated data, right? Any variety of things. But the difference between a, a hugely problematic incident and one that might have real hopes of being uh, successfully restored really is data protection. Um, Steve, can you talk a little bit about data backups and just the idea of how you would protect that and what we're concerned about there? So today we operate in a world which is dominated by ransomware in the news. Um, first and foremost, you know, businesses are being impacted because their data is being locked up. So data backups in that context are simply a way to avoid paying a ransom, a way to avoid uh, major downtime uh, as a result of an attack like that. But more generally, of course, uh, we have natural disasters, we have hurricanes, uh, power outages, you name it. Backups are a way to ensure that if infrastructure is lost, you can rebuild it soundly. Uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis, of course, people delete data too. So backups are an underpinning of keeping things afloat in turbulent times. So the hard part about everything you just said for me is backups feels overgeneralized. And I, and I mean that in the sense that Backups are fine. We've had a whole variety of clients with incidents where their backups have been encrypted or deleted. So it's, it's more than just saying I've taken a backup and I've got a copy of my data, right? I think a lot of it is what do you do with those backups and how do you protect them afterwards? Right. It, it's about making sure that backups are usable when they're needed. And candidly, uh, backups are often built and then not tested rigorously. So part of the process, of course, is ensuring that you're backing up the right data from the right systems you have processes in place to actually restore that data and in the context of keeping it isolated and safe, um, have the means to ensure that the bad guys don't actually have it within their realm of deletion. So the tips that I'm trying to think practical tips. So what do we want to tell people? And I think one, certainly having an offline backup is critical, right? So something that you know attackers can never touch, can never spoil, right? Can never, can never impact in any way. And, you know, we're not necessarily talking about going back to the realm of tapes. You know, uh, in 2021, that's less common, certainly. I would say that in general, having an isolation of data is the most important. If you're sending your data to Amazon, if you're sending your data to a, a secondary physical location, just having an ability to say that that data has been copied elsewhere for secure storage, and it's not directly in the line of, of data flow, that's the way to avoid it. You know, in the practical, in the practical data stage sense, it's 
ensuring that the attacker can't use your own credentials against you right. and delete the backup data. Yeah, and I feel like we see that all the time, right? The attacker is using uh, stolen credentials, ultimately, you're pretty easily getting access to, to backups, right? So we always talk to clients about making sure that you have backups that are isolated from your normal credential store, right? Active Directory or whatever it is that you're using. Right. Um, you know, one thing you said that's interesting to me, though, is because you you specifically said you're sending your data to Amazon, you're encrypting that data in transit. Um, clearly, there's a lot of great reasons for having your data somewhere like that. But effective backups can be as straightforward as, you know, for smaller organizations, right? As straightforward as maybe backing your data up to a USB drive that you rotate periodically. So I think I want to make sure that a takeaway from this isn't, well, I really need to figure out how to use cloud providers or some of these, say, more expensive or more maybe challenging to implement solutions when some businesses are small enough that they can get away with a variety of other ways to to keep that data. Right. And, you know, be somewhat liberal with definition of backup. If you have electronic systems, maybe have a backup paper-based practice. We've all moved away from it. It's not quite the same concept as, you know, data backups, but it's a backup business process as well. Right. Let's transition a little bit then to the idea of you know, MFA or two-factor, right? So MFA, multi-factor authentication, the idea that you're combining your username and password with some secondary form of authentication, right? Typically a, a key fob or, or some sort of prompt, right? Basically something you have and something you know. Right, something you have and something you know. Very, common, very commonly used and encountered on a day-to-day basis in the personal world with your banking website, for example. You get a text message, you log in, it, it's more secure. Right, and, and, there's, and they can be that straightforward to implement, right? But you really, you really want to make sure that you have a way to protect your credentials because ultimately that tends to be the target activity of a, of a lot of attackers. Right. Yeah, the, the number we've uh, seen in the last several years is 80 to 90% of all incidents are rooted in stolen passwords, given away freely, of course, because you were contacted by someone purporting to be your superior, uh, some key business partner, you log in to what seems like a valid website and off they go. They can log in immediately if you don't have uh, secondary protection like this in place. So it feels like there's a, maybe a future episode for talking about phishing and social engineering and uh, how to actually get credentials. Because I think that, you know, kind of that's somewhat the underpinning of this, right? We've talked a little bit in the past around how technical controls are really valuable. But if people freely give away their credentials, right, you basically circumvented all those controls. And, that, and that's where two-factor comes into play. Right. Controlling identities and, you know, what those identities are able to access, whether they be systems or data or remote access into a network. You know, traditional organizations might use a virtual private network, a VPN. Others might use Office 365, you know, cloud-based email entirely and not need access to local infrastructure. Protecting both of those uh, sides of the equation with um, a second factor authentication is how you ensure that attackers, even if they have your password, can't get in. The, the thing that you mentioned that's interesting to me is you want to be judicious about where you use two-factor because it, you know, it certainly has some, say, convenience overhead associated with it. Right? Anytime you have to use that second factor, it slows down access to certain sites. You mentioned email. And I think people very often think of protecting email because it might have documents that are sent from clients and things like that. And it certainly does. Uh, but I, I tend to think about email as sort of the gateway for the password change process, right? So there's a lot of reasons to protect email just 
so that you know attackers can't use your email system against you. Right, absolutely. Um, the, you know, it, it's probably not that exciting, uh, and I feel like we talk about it all the time. But again, you know, from a what should a business do standpoint, you know, doing basic vulnerability scans and actually addressing known patch, you know, patches from your your application providers or your operating system providers remains key and is typically a free, you know, kind of a free activity to do. Um, what we don't want to do is have uh, any business with known flaws have a, effectively an open door to an attacker with minimal effort. And simply keeping abreast of those updates, which are freely offered, regularly, automatically applied, it just ensures that they'll look elsewhere because the effort required to breach a business that's well-defended with good practices like this exceeds what they're willing to invest. And it, it, it's not that difficult to do. Some organizations, I think, struggle with it because you know they're, they're busy day-to-day with, with other things that keep them distracted, maybe. Uh, but frankly, certainly your operating systems typically are able to update themselves regularly. Uh, maybe your applications you need to pay a little bit more attention to, but simply monitoring some of the advisory sites to know what the critical vulnerabilities are is going to be critical. Right. And if you have a legacy application or something you can't patch easily, that's fine. Keep using it. It's not a reason necessarily to back away from it, but change things to make sure you can do so securely. Right. Find compensating controls exactly. for that. Um, and, you know, it, it, a common thing I think almost that every organization does have is a firewall. And, you know, it, it, I'd say most places or most companies that we work with or most people we talk to probably have one. I think the challenge is keeping those firewall rules up to date and actually you know, making sure that they're, that they're providing the protection that you think that they should be. Right. And we're in a slightly different world today where merely controlling what can get in is not sufficient. Um, it's really the case that those firewalls need to manage what data leaves the network as well in order to defend appropriately. So having a bi-directional um, security analysis for your firewall and network protections is, is a criticality. It's, it's, it's kind of the secondary benefit of that is for us in an incident response standpoint is it often gives you a lot of clarity about sort of types of data that may have been taken, right? So, you know, a lot of times we'll see a ransomware event coupled with a data theft of some sort for the purpose of extortion, right? We talked about that a little bit. Um, Firewalls will give you some of that context if configured properly, right? Right. You really want that network flow information. That's a great segue into really the most important subject from a security standpoint in terms of what you want to use as uh, critical things that businesses should employ, and that's visibility in general. Some mechanism that allows recording of data from a firewall, from systems, from logins, just so that you know after the fact what actually happened. Because in the event of an attack, you know, you may not have that information at hand and you can't reconstruct what occurred. That means Uh, More effort for restoration, that means potentially more effort in working with a liability insurer, that means potentially needing to notify customers that you would prefer not to. And if you simply log system events from anything that might generate a security event, you'll be in better shape. So I want to actually segue a little bit then into into the idea of cost, because I think what you just said is really interesting. Security is generally considered a cost center, I think, right? We've, we've, we've certainly had that conversation many times. Um, a few of the items we're talking about here 
are largely free to do for most organizations. The, you can you can get patches from your vendors, generally speaking, for free. You know, logging, if you simply want to make sure you have data, you can log all of your data locally to the servers that generate it, typically for free. Backups, you know, there's generally probably a cost to that, but it doesn't have to be really expensive. I think, you know, as long as you put the effort into making sure the data is protected, it doesn't have to be the most elegant solution. Um, but you almost touch on the idea that, you know, security can provide companies an opportunity to potentially save, right? So well-protected networks that give you clarity about what an event may have been will will let you notify you know, the right people and keep your costs down. And, and frankly, some of these activities here are required by insurance, which actually can potentially help premium. So there's some real benefit to this. Right. And you can even make an argument on the business intelligence side. If you have good data about how all of your systems work, how your users act, that you can save money in licensing costs and understand how your customers use your services alike. They're all part of the same spectrum of information and in security, they all matter. Right. They all matter. And, and, you know, the same, I think we'll talk a little bit about this because I expect it'll go this direction, but the idea that, you know, what you would do at home to protect data isn't that wildly different for what you need to do from an organization. Uh, Scale might be different clearly, but you know, these are really basic concepts and there's something that's accessible. I think to every business of every size. The, The most important thing is that these subjects should be broached before an incident requires you to talk about them. And, you know, preparation's 95% of the problem. For sure. Uh, Well, on that note, I say thanks for listening. Uh, I do hope that people got value out of this. We want to keep these topics pretty short and pretty simple. Uh, So limit this one to three or four areas, backups, two-factor, collecting log data, and simply patching machines as you need to would be takeaways that we'd want people to walk away from today. Um, if you have anything you'd like to add to this topic, you know, feel free to let us know at Vancourt Security at Twitter. Uh, follow us on LinkedIn. Um, and of course, you can follow the podcast at uh, Apple or Spotify. And as always, Steve, thanks for joining. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Stay vigilant. Stay resilient. This has been CyberSound.